Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Going Off Track. This is a very special intro because not only are Brad and Jonah with us, as they are, but we have our forever unofficial and official guest host, Vanessa Bear. Hello. Hurrah. Yeah, give it up. So sometimes before we hit record, we start chatting away. And throughout whatever subject matter we were discussing, <laughs> Vanessa Bayer just informed us that when she was younger, she would do a Roy Orbison impression and also sing male opera. Please expound. Yeah. Well, I could sing like Roy Orbison. I just like had a real talent for it. And um, then also I could sing like, I could sing opera like in a, like a male type of opera voice. And one time in my kindergarten class, I had this se- sequins pantsuit. Jonah, I don't know if you remember this. Grandma Abby gave it to me. I don't remember. But I had this sequins pantsuit that like my grandma's friend owned the store for like fancy kids clothes. So I wore this. So I like changed into the sequins pantsuit and I just sang male opera. Like, and I remember sitting in front of my, or standing in front of my class and being like, uh, what do you guys want to hear? And they were like, uh, I don't know. Uh, do you know La Donne Immobile? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, how about like, I think I sang like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or something. But like, it, and then like after that, like one girl like came in and did, did ballet or something. And like, pe- like a few other kids like decided to perform, but it was just because I was like, you know. That's cool. You're taking requests. I took requests. I mean, how did did you hear Pretty Woman and are like, I can do that? I guess so. I don't. It's so weird. I guess our dad listened to a lot of Roy Orbison. Our dad did listen to a lot of Roy. I I guess like you could ask mom. Mom and dad would have like a better sense of how this started. But I, I, Jonah, you said you remember it, right? Yeah. That I would like sing like Roy Orbison all the time. Wow. Who did you sing like? Um, I had a Jonah pretty good could, Axl Rose. Yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> Jonah had like a really spot on Axl Rose I did. impression. Do it now. I, I I don't think I could still do it. It was like so. It was like really good. Like I feel like it's a hard voice to I mean, do. Yeah. All I listened to was Guns N' Roses for a long period of my life. It's a good record. So yeah, but yeah, right. I had a pretty good one. I had the the like kind of sway move and like ah. the um the Davy Jones. And I remember like callback. I remember. Uh, <laughs> Once I was doing, like, you know, Welcome to the Jungle, like, there's all, like, he has sex or whatever. There's all those noises where it's like, ah, ah, like, yes. that whole part. I used to do that, and I remember at one point, Mom being like, you should stop doing that. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I even knew, like, really what sex was. I just, like, thought it was, like, a singing technique. Yeah, I, I just, right now I'm realizing that that's what, that I thought. No, someone's telling me a story that, like, that was actually him, like, having sex with one of the other guys in the band's girlfriend or something, and they recorded it. <laughs> I think that there's like a story behind that. I don't know all the details. Whoa! But yeah, uh, I didn't find this out until like that coconut recently. teaser rock scene and the chicanery. <laughs> <laughs> chicanery. That's, That's what they one, called right? it back then. Too. Yeah, chicanery and cuckoldry. That's mm-hmm. how they spoke in um, Elizabethan yes. language on the Sunset Strip. <laughs> no, one, no one realized that. No, I eighties eighties LA. I challenge you to a duel. Someday Your HBO LA guns. Someday HBO will you know reenact that time period and they'll have to have all the actors speak that way god is that gonna happen (laughs) yes yes that that time period it'll be like the sopranos the false the 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 alto sopranos it's already been written i feel like there's a joke about hamlet and poison oh yeah i'm with you (laughs) but i can't put it together well here the thing is is what that poison was poured into his father's ear and there's a lot of allusions to ears in shakespeare it's happening again should i keep going wait i've got one yeah thank you uh (laughs) Poison was poured into his eye, into his ear, and he died. Uh, the band. 
But just as a disclaimer, I want to say that I really do like the band Poison. And me and Vanessa saw them And we once. saw them in Cleveland, and it was super depressing. <laughs> we had tickets. I, did I get them for free? Yes. Something happened, and like they moved everyone into the pavilion off the lawn because there weren't enough people. Like, or we got, oh. remember, like, the pavilion was, like, sort of crowded and they moved people in, but then there was, like, no one in this huge amphitheater, like, in, like, 90% it of like it. It was, like, Poison was headlining. Poison headlined. Skid Row. Skid Row. S- without no, no, Sebastian. No. Or was, just Sebastian. It was Skid Row without Sebastian Bach, then Vince Neil without Motley Crue. Oh. But and Vince Neil was doing Motley Crue, only Motley, Motley Crue songs. songs. And then Poison, which was all the dudes. And Brett Michaels kept changing into different Poison shirts that they were selling. Yes. Which was, like... <laughs> Uh, sort of a bummer, but I feel like he's, you know. I've heard that he, I've actually he's heard doing he's well. a really nice guy. I bet he is. He is very and, nice. He is I interviewed too. him and he asked me in the interview, do you want to get on stage and sing a song? And he did it and I did. You did? There's footage of me what singing song with did you Poison. Sing? Don't need nothing but a good time. Whoa. Off of the, uh, I, would love I believe the record, open, open up, up and say, say ah. ah. I, believe I would love yes. to see that. Not as much as I would love to see you in California. <laughs> Dream? California Dreams, yes. I would love to see that too. Prime prime performance real estate right there. How do we get how do we get it doesn't exist. It does, but you can't. It's you have Would to. it be at the Museum of TV and Yeah, it'll be there. Don't they have everything? Don't they legally have to have everything? They don't have everything. That's the big disappointment about oh. that place. Is like I went there and I like looked up like a specific episode. Oh, I wanted to watch the last episode of Dinosaurs. <laughs> you can watch it online. Have you never seen it? You can watch that part of that it. Part. Oh yeah, the whole. Oh, episode. I saw the episode when it came out, and I remember at the end going, "I don't, so I don't morbid. know how to feel." You know the show Dinosaurs? No. Should watch it. It was um kind of was it Henson? I think it was connected I to it. I don't know, but it may be. But it was like it was it was like a puppet people playing life-size pup, puppet it's dinosaurs. It's this fun lark of a family comedy. It was on TGIF. Yeah. Really, you know. And it was it was at the little and the little and the baby from Dinosaur. Not the mama. Not the mama. But the baby and had a from song Dinosaur. Not the mama. You, know, you know who you know who did the voice? No. Kevin Clash. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? That was like one of his first gigs. He was the baby. And he um uh, I don't know if he was at Sesame Street at that time, but so dinosaurs, it's just this fun, like situation comedy, kind of like the Flintstones. Oh, with the, he's the dad. I've seen it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it, kind of like family matters, but with dinosaurs. Yeah. It's a total sitcom. With and it ends with a complete industrial meltdown that covers the world in ash. And he's, <laughs> and he looks out the window like, there'll always be dinosaurs as the temperature drops. No They're like, way. it's getting cold. <laughs> Series ends. It's really depressing. And it's, it's either like they were mad that they were getting canceled. No. Yeah. yeah, I think that they knew they were getting canceled and they were mad, but also like they tackled some environmental stuff. And I think they were like, let's just prove, like, I think it was like a statement. <laughs> Yeah, because like the, he like he like tries to get rid of some animals and they become overgrown and it's some kind of business thing and it throws off the whole climate yeah. and like he's I trying just, to get money and then he's like I'm sorry and they're like it's freezing and like that's the end. Of, I just like, kind of wish they hadn't put it on the dad though because the dad was like so nice. Yeah, but um, you know, there someone the had lesson. to take the fall. Yeah, you know who's super nice. Janine, Janine Garofalo. Garofalo. <laughs> Look at that. Me and Stephen have started saying the guest names at the same time because I'll set it up by being like. So guess who's, and then I'll like yeah. just ask a question. That's how we do it. If you guys want the technique at it's home, turning, to yeah. do it with your friends. I'm going to have to change it up soon. Who has to edit this? There's no Dude, editing. This, this is, is not how we roll. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is how we roll. Because uh, Janine came by through the wonderful Vanessa Bayer. No, it was through John, I It think. was through Vanessa's friend, Julie, who, thank you very much, Julie. Oh, okay. She totally oh. helped us out. Julie, thank you so much. So Vanessa came by to hang out because we're all big fans of Janine Garofalo. And special occasion, Mike Cangemi was here. 
Yeah, Mike was here. So we were all hanging out, and I kept thinking that this is just like how the view should be with Janine Garofalo. <laughs> it's just all sitting around talking. It was so, fun. It was so fun to talk to it her. It was a mix between the view and that. Can you hear me when I'm back here? Two, two. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, is that okay for me to sit yeah, back? Yeah. <laughs> Vanessa's over at the bar. I, people don't know that, but we have this in it. We have kind of a loungy men's club here. That's where we record this. Min chocolate seltzer two, water. Two, She's making one. herself a martini. <laughs> can, can yeah, we all, can hear you over there. Can you the always bar. sound check after everything you say? Just don't spill two. it on the pool table. Sibilance. <laughs> Sibilance. <laughs> yeah, that would um, be useful, actually. Um, good. Um, sibilance? You know that show, what's that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know that show that was all men that was called, like, Guy, the guy. It was like I boys think it was will like be boys. Mario Lopez and like it was like a oh, guy's oh, view. The guys, to our turn or something, or the guys' turn or the it other half. The, the other, other half. half. So that when we when Janine was here, it was like the other half meets the view, kind of. Yeah, totally. <laughs> except <laughs> way sexier. Except no Mario way. Lopez. Wasn't Mario Lopez on it? Yeah, it was Mario oh, Lopez, yeah. Dick Clark. Yeah, Dick Clark was Danny on it. Danny Bonaducci and, and um, one other guy. Yeah. I can't remember who. Was it, um, I don't know. But Mario Lopez was the young one. Yeah. It was odd. Now he's got a great gig. Yeah, hosting that extra. It's got to be a bummer to be that fourth guy where in that category you can't remember him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's happened a lot in those kind of shows. Yeah, that's uh, true. Janine Garofalo was amazing. She's it, so great. The, the whole, it took many twists and turns and she just reiterated how awesome she but is. But it all comes back to Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, I tried to get as many... I tried to ask her as many questions about what I had American Summer as possible. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. <laughs> right? It's going on I just went onto Twitter for our uh, podcast, but I'm deathly afraid to like make the leap. Like I don't know, like I don't know what to do first, and I, I don't even know how like it's supposed to work. I'm like, do I just think of some shit and write it, and then no, someone's going to give a shit about it, or like it seems like it. That's what. It seems like a lot of people. Some people are actually uh, responsible with it. They recommend books, or they oh, yeah. they tell sense. people where to register to vote, or whatever. But then there's some people who say, "I'm sitting in the theater watching blah blah blah," and it's not. Why you know, aren't you watching sucks. what you're supposed to be watching? And that's who are funny, like Dave Hill. Yeah. Um, and you know, because people will show me twitters of other people, and and I will laugh out loud. Right. So I guess that's good. My question is, if you're a comedian and you're and you're you're on you're on the Twitter, mm-hmm. and and you write something that's very funny. Is that it? Because that can that no longer be in your act, or are you assuming that? No, because the, obviously they do jokes that have been on their CDs or on tour or anything. So I guess so. You said the smartest thing about comics one time, Jonah, which was whoa, uh, Jonah. very hard He's to believe. Very <laughs> smart. The let's, smartest let's thing wait. about let's hear it. Oh, by the way, when Mike and I were working New York Comic Con, we ran into this uh, manager. Uh, for Big Hassle, and I was telling her about the podcast. I was like, you know, Jonah Bear, he's one of the co-hosts. And she went, oh, I've heard of him. He's like a big deal writer. You're really feeding my ego and right Mike, now. <laughs> and Mike and I both Jonah. went, it's true. It's, it's really true. true. It is true. Yeah. And we we can put you in contact with him if you want. Truth you should really just cool. talk. You get coffee. Yeah, maybe. Well, like what maybe was the really I'm... smart thing I said? I'm smart thing yeah, was okay. when you yeah. go see when you go see uh, a band, you want to hear the record. But when you go see a comedian, you don't want to hear the record. That uh, is not true in every case. No. I, I, I fall into that camp. I, I don't need to hear the stuff that I've already heard. But there are some people who, like if you see Patton Oswalt, they start shouting out requests for or Louis C.K. Wow. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they, there are some people that go there delighting in wanting to hear 
what they already know word for word, uh, they enjoy it. I figure that with like like old school comedy fans, like if you heard a New Heart record, you want to hear the bit. You, you want to hear the you, phone stuff. You want to hear the phone you stuff see word the phone, for word. You and know? you want to hear him stutter. Yes. Sure you do, of course. That's, but it holds true today. Like, you know, like I said, there's a lot of comedians who have a lot of uh, work out very publicly, mm-hmm. um, whether it be CDs or tweeting or online stuff. And people go to the show and they start shouting. Like David Cross encounters that and he doesn't like to repeat certain stuff. But, you know, he has those DVDs like mm-hmm. Shut Up, You Effing Baby can. Are we being recorded? Yeah, yeah. you can totally swear. Is CC fine? Um, but you only get fined if someone complains. Stuff. I'm sorry, what? You only get fined with the FCC if someone complains. You can say whatever you want on television. You have to wait for the complaint to go to the FCC. Yes, but there will always be somebody who would loves to complain about something. It depends on if you're on a program people are actually watching. So I've sworn a lot on television <laughs> in the past. Give us some examples, not of the swears, but of the shows. Uh, well, if you, we worked for a channel called Fuse, yes, which has dozens of viewers. Mm-hmm. And when we were on it, and when we were on it, when we worked on it less, and I remember doing taping a promo that bled into the opening of a live show, and I thought we were still taping the promo, and I said, "Ah, fuck it," and I gave the finger with both hands, <laughs> and. Nothing. Nobody called. Was Ran that, a rerun. Was Everything that, was fine. Life was legit. Was that something Jonah wrote into the script? I feel like Jonah used to write stuff. Jonah only writes shit. Are you shit about if Jonah he was, Bear? Yeah, did you heard he said. <laughs> he's amazing. Listen, he's he is blowing up out there. Not only did he say the smartest thing about comics, but uh, that I definitely didn't him? come up with that. <laughs> oh, you're here. <laughs> you could always tell when Jonah snuck something in because it was like. Uh, let's see if I can put in a line about how much I hate the movie Juno. <laughs> that was that a couple ir- of scripts. That irritated that was- me. And, you know, no offense to the movie or anything, but that that kind of clever, clever banter. Do not. Relentless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, the Diablo Cody, and she seems like a nice person. I don't know her. Um, that kind of lingo really grates on me. You know, when it's just relentless and everybody's doing it. Yeah. It's a... Uh, I've never Quite seen Jonah team. be so passionate about, like, and vocal about hating something. Yeah. No, Chrissy Hind was yeah, the worst. Hind, that was probably the know. worst well, that I've ever her, seen. Just, I mean, the way she was treating us. The day that she can't, she canceled on us. We were so yeah. The, the rock show was, you know, Jonah was writing. I was producing. Steve I was talking about Chrissy Hine and Juno. So did I. No, I got no, no, Juno. no. This is a whole different. Okay, this is a, a so she was supposed to come on. I was like, the, what a weird thing for her to do. <laughs> were, she was like torturing different us. Different obscure yeah. reference. Yeah, it's yeah. random. She, she was supposed to be on our show, and she was like, they were like, okay, but. And, like, I had this list of shit that I couldn't like, do around her, like, shake her hand, look at her, fucking couldn't wear boots. Like, you know, and she's like, I'm like, you can't wear leather. leather. You can wear boots, not, le- not no, leather. No, even if she's not a big she, animal. She, yes. But she said, like, even if they look, just don't. I, dude, I wore but sneakers. Don't like, that people's I, riders <laughs> don't always reflect that. Some people, it was her people. Uh, it's true. Other people, it's other people it. yeah. taking the initiative. So we were already sort of just like, that's oh, true. Fuck, she's already way too much work. And then she'd canceled, like, an hour before we were shooting. So. Stephen looked at me. I think this was the day, and Jonah was just like, "I fucking." This is like after, right before the show got canceled, I feel like everything was everything was just. I think this is why the show got canceled. <laughs> and then, so Stephen and I joked around about doing this. Stephen had this, we were talking about the, doing this sleep episode where Stephen just sleeps through all of his host reads, where we would just come to the show and it would be you know Stephen, and then it would just be this nice jib shot of him passed out on the couch, and then we'd go to a video like and 
we did it that day. We didn't tell anybody. And then, and then we got canceled. <laughs> well, not after, right after that. It was the best. I think it was some of the best. Thanks, TV. Obama. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> You know what's funny? Chrissy, is, I mean, Chrissy. Chrissy living uh, as, as a New Jersey resident now, uh, not yes. a native, I moved there. Uh, my children are natives. Uh, I find that for years living in New York, didn't have a home phone, just had a cell phone. Now I have a home phone. And I get robocalls all the time. So I got a phone call. It was actually a person. It was the local uh, police station saying, hey, we're from the uh, policeman's uh, adolescent group. We're you know, trying to raise money. And... I said something at the time. I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I can't really uh, give right now, but thanks for calling, you know, trying to be polite. And, and the guy says, oh, Obama didn't get you a job. And I went, I, I, I don't know how that falls into play, but thanks for your time and hung up. And then, of course, had the hindsight moment of there are so many things. I wish I had the brain to have said right there. Racist. <laughs> you're racist. You're racist. <laughs> racist. That's where it's coming from. It's your limbic brain. You're only racist uh, if you endorse. Uh, just that, the Obama, the thanks Obama, and it didn't get you a job, and then the, the things that people take issue with, their kind of unexplainable vitriol is so clearly emotionally based. You know what I mean? Oh. Like the, the hatred for Hillary yeah, that some people yeah. have is so clearly limbic brain um, that, that, that they can't, it's not policy. Because there's very little difference between Obama's policies and any Republican policy and very little difference between Hillary's policies and any Republican policy that these people claim to support. So what, so what is the vitriol about? You know, what, what is it that you dislike? So, in fact, in many ways, Obama has uh, enhanced Bush policies. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, and he's acquiesced as much as anyone could possibly do to the Republican Congress. Keeps giving and giving, which much to everyone's chagrin. But um, so, so, so you're taking issue with what? It can only I can only presume it's the color of his skin. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where um, the the person, if you try and get into it with him, uh, immediately you're the bad guy. Apparently, discussing racism is far worse than being racist. Do you know, does that make sense? I don't know if I articulated that correctly. I find that most people that like if you. I believe that you know you can make a joke about anything if it's a well-written joke. I, mm-hmm. I uh, Rob Cordry said that much better than I did. But if I'll make a joke that's you know off color or, or racial or whatever, you know, because I'll do that to be a jerk sometimes. Uh, I find the person who gets angriest is most likely the racist one. No, mm-hmm. actually, I feel like it depends on if you, if a person who makes an off color or could be racist or sexist mm-hmm. joke. If I can tell they're smart and funny, uh, I see that. Uh, it's fine. If I can see it's a person who's not really joking, but spreading more of these uh, harmful cultural stereotypes, then I do get very angry. Mm-hmm. It does, but I'm not the. It's not because I am more racist mm-hmm. or anything, or it's not. I'm a, not because I'm in a homosexual panic if somebody does a gay bashing. <laughs> but there are certain comics where it's very clear who is is intelligently turning a you know a cultural problem on its head, and who is actually spreading a negative stereotype with a with a microphone and an audience which i feel like is it, you should be more responsible when you have a microphone but some people are just really stupid like uh you know comics aren't smarter inherently than anyone else i mean good comics mm-hmm. like george carlin just as one example are obviously brighter and more uh more uh sharp social critics than the average person but then there's some that are just like any asshole in the office you know what i mean like they're not any 
any brighter than any C student in any, you know. We, we had one of our guests, uh, Jamie Kilstein, and it mm-hmm. was right after um, uh, Jamie, who was a, a frequent guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. Mm-hmm. He and Joe Rogan got into uh, like a heated discussion about what Daniel Tosh said about right. his, 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 his rape heckle remark, which was, Jamie was like, you know, it's, they got in this big fight about rape culture. And uh, Jamie, who by his own admission, he's like, I'm very left to the left. I know where I stand. But this is a big issue. And it's not, it wasn't cool. Despite the fact he didn't handle the heckle well, you know, which there's a way to do. Mm-hmm. And he blew that and went and went that route. But I, I find it, I, I don't know. I think now, that, like, you know, as I'm, as I'm entering my 40s and I'm thinking, I don't recall growing up this blatant, like, I, I guess, female sex maybe it's because now i have daughters <laughs> then i'm mm-hmm. so much more conscious about it <laughs> that it's like this blatant like uh, female attack from i know republicans and what what constitutes rape and all this but jamie got like really really irate and then comedians started bashing him saying that he wasn't he's like well you're not sticking up for your own guy and mm-hmm. i found that just really telling and, and very unfortunate i think it's just a sign of you know the pornographication of uh, making it mainstream in culture, but also misogyny has always existed in not just our culture, but mm. all cultures. But then as time marches on, more and more taboos are broken. And then somebody opens the floodgates to saying things on stage that Lenny Bruce would be arrested for. Then now it's the most normal thing at Gotham on a Tuesday. It, it, you know what I mean? Whether it be discussing <clears throat> sexual assault or anything like that. And again, it depends on whose hands it's in. If Sarah Silverman makes a joke like that, it is fine because she's, coming from a very different place. If there's somebody, and I'm not saying Tosh, mm-hmm. but I'm saying then there are some guys where they'll talk about this stuff where it's coming from a place that has gives me the creeps. Something seems uh, a little different about what they're saying. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I do, I do, I'm not one of those people that's like, you should be allowed to say anything you want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I don't believe in the First Amendment, but there is such a thing as respect. And and um, and having some sense of 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 not of not lowering all boats by continuing to use negative, uh, sexist, racist, uh, homophobic language. Do you know what I mean? And then oh, yeah. making it okay because the problem is is the reason the right wing and the Republicans continue to keep getting away with this nonsense is they don't get checked. Um, alleged journalists pretend that it's journalistic objectivity to let that side speak. That's not a side of an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, homophobia, redefining rape, denying mm. women's sovereignty over their own bodies. That's not a side to a story or a policy mm. position. That's a, that is backward, like messignation. Black people and white people couldn't get married till 1963. And that was like legit on TV. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like somebody could get on TV and say, I just don't think black, you know, black people and white people should marry. In 1963, for Christ's sake, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. was still going in the back door uh, when yeah. he was working. You know what I mean? It, not that long ago, but it was okay until somebody said it wasn't okay. So I feel like until the mainstream media lives up to what they're supposed to be doing and, and, and checks the language or checks somebody who says the most uh, homophobic or, or racist things, like the Tea Party years or whatever, they are allowed to say these things. Mm-hmm. To, I'm rambling now. Are no. we, have we started? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we doing the show? 
Wait, oh, am yeah. I supposed to hit record? <laughs> no, honestly, hit, I you thought you were waiting for your food before we started. No, we we have started. I, oh, I, my God. I started <laughs> we, we, we can, can, we can edit it, too. Oh, yeah, no, we, no, no. I'm not ashamed okay. of anything no, no, I said. No, no, I really didn't know we'd start. I didn't know we'd started either. And then, like, when you said the thing about, like, oh, we... You said something about us starting. I saw that there were like two minutes on the thing. I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't, didn't know we had started. Yeah. Vanessa, you should hear how much we started when you first came on. When yeah, you, we edited we a lot out, but it's really fun. It's oh, really? really? Fun. We have the whole beginning of you walking in, saying hi, hanging out to everybody. <laughs> then about the bars, always... and then when I went into the restroom, I hope you got. Oh no! That. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, we got oh, that. Because I had. <laughs> really? Really? Explosive. What'd you, what'd you eat? <laughs> um, I think it's some tainted uh, apples. Apple cider I got at the green market. <laughs> Is that what it does? Because I've been eating apples like a fiend. No, lately. no, not apples. Some cider. Oh, I'm actually, God. I don't have explosive <laughs> okay. diarrhea, but I was making a very immature and based joke. The person who was just talking about responsibility with a microphone, who is, <laughs> as you say, approaching your 40s. I'm going to be 50 soon. So uh, I, so, I'm 49. So I, what? I really, it's true. People were born in the early 60s. How do you not age? Is that a secret? Oh, no, I, I age. It's just nice and kind of darkish in here. <laughs> Please. But if, no. we, if we were outside or if it was HD. <clears throat> but, Who wants to how? Um, See, we're going to I want this. coffee like I like my... <laughs> Vanessa, jump in here. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't said uh, anything. Uh, you like your coffee? Uh, wait, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want me... Should I get it? I can get it. I feel bad making... Like, you're in charge, you know. Well, my job is already... My wife and I would, when we would go, we worked together for a while and we would go on these tours and, and cover things. And she made fun of me because I did the same thing. We'd check out the hotel and I was throwing Kleenex boxes, toilet paper, everything, you know, not towels and stuff, but, you know, and just take whatever. So, what are you doing? I'm like, we paid for it. Right. Hours. And also, some of it's half open. I mean, you can't leave behind uh, an open shampoo thing, even if you just used a little bit. Why not take it? Because yeah, totally. they're just going to chuck it. I, my favorite move is at open bars is if the bartender's cool, I'll just get some beers to go. I'll be like, I'd like like three beers. You don't have to open them. And then I'll just like tip the dude like 10 bucks. And then I'll just put them in someone's purse. Sometimes they open in people's purses. Oh. Yeah. And then I'm like, sorry. That's why you need wine in a box. Yeah. Um, I also, I also it like that. In a backpack really well. <laughs> and you can even have the straw on the outside and take sips. I would take beer, in a, I would take beer into a bar, you know, and hide it. You know, because it was too expensive. And never you have to make sure of- they sell that kind of beer in the bar, and you can do that. Here's what I used to do. Hence, getting thrown when out. When I used to be, uh, I I don't drink anymore uh, because of things like what I'm about to tell you. Now. <laughs> um, but I used to, because I used to enjoy um, Belvedere and Grey Goose and things. That's just too expensive to get at a New York bar. But also because I was hiding how much I was drinking with my friends, because they don't, uh, you don't want people to know how rapidly you need to order another. Drink so I would have um, either a flask or like an, uh, a water bottle full of Grey Goose or Belvedere, and then just use the restroom and pour it into. Because yeah. if you're just drinking vodka, they don't know. You know, they can't tell that you've take. It's in the glass oh, that they've. Yeah. You order one, and then you refill it constantly, and then your friends don't know how much of a problem that you have, and you don't. And you're drinking Belvedere and Grey Goose, and then also when others get rounds, then you're getting. Extra, so if you want to use that trick, That's, you can uh, do it, and that'll wind you up with two interventions. The second one <laughs> will take the first one, not as much, uh, so you can enjoy that. Um, you, you can so I mean things like that that can get you in your late thirty, mid thirties, two interventions. Did which that really is nice. happen? You had people intervene. 
Yes. Wow. That's why I don't drink. How long, how, how long have you been sober? Since 2001. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well done. Thank you. Well, it's not, I'm not bragging. No, I mean, no, no, that's great. But um, yeah, I, I had to stop. Yeah. It's, I, I think we all have like a gazillion friends in, in recovery and go through it. And I have a buddy who, he in LA, he, when he, when he hit bottom, and I remember, <laughs> uh, he put himself in the Salvation Army rehab because that was where the court ordered guys went. He went, if I'm going to do it, I need to go hit. And he ended up running the facility. He graduated mm-hmm. up to the point. Mm-hmm. And now like, now he's like, secu- we're in security for Lockheed Martin, I think out in Pasadena. He mm-hmm. does this kind of stuff. But you know, there's a lot of people that can't keep it and fall back and forth. And he said something very smart in one of his meetings that he's, he had all these court guys and he went, uh, a lot of you guys aren't done getting high. You, you need to go get high because you're wasting good getting high time right now. When you're ready, I will be here. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's <laughs> how it was for me. I wasn't yeah. ready the first time. I yep. didn't go to rehab. I had to agree to do certain things just to be able to stay in the city. And, you know, I had to go to AA every day and stuff like They're that. they make you leave the city? Uh, no, no, I'm saying I didn't go elsewhere to ah, recovery. Mm-hmm. I, I stayed in the city. But I had to agree to do certain mm-hmm. things to, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just, the first time, just wasn't ready. There's just a, a, you know, and then the second time, I just was and and didn't. I also don't think I was an alcoholic. And I'm not, that's not denial, but it's just that I haven't drunk, had a drink since then. And I believe that people who, uh, who, who truly have a deeper problem than I did, it's not, you can't do that. Just turn it off that, that one day, which I have luckily been able to. To do now, I am high as a kite on heroin and crack. Right now. <laughs> uh, but as you can see, I am articulate, and lucid. Well, yeah. I was early. Yeah, you handled uh, it. Just, no, I'm, just, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not on crack or anything. That was a joke. <laughs> but uh, but it, I, so I think I was just a person who once they started drinking couldn't stop. If that no, that sounds that like sense. I mean, maybe others would define that as alcoholism in its own way. I don't think it was because. Um, I haven't had a drink. And right, I and you were able to turn I don't it fan- off. You know, I'm not, I was never climbing the walls to have one. But my problem was is that I was able to drink a lot. I could drink like a tall person, like a, mm, like right. a, a very tall person. And you're what, three, eight, four I am, feet? I am just under four feet tall. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm five one. She's, but, all, uh, she's all standing on the couch. <laughs> she's all liver. But uh, like a oh, tiger shark, ninety uh, percent liver, and then the rest is just a bit of intestine. <laughs> Leftover, just a bit of intestine. I mean, are you a meetings person? Uh, I was, you were. but now I'm not. And what I'm saying is, is just I think I'm a person, just unfortunately, who has no sense of moderation. It's all or nothing. So you take it away from me, um, and people are kind of watching you. And I, okay, I don't do it, but if I'm doing it. It was unfortunately all in, and I had, I just couldn't stop drinking once I started. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to do something, do it. Exactly. Right. So, <laughs> just, don't fuck I was around. constantly blacking out and all that kind of stuff, and I was injuring myself, and also just being a general nuisance, I think, mm-hmm. to my right. friends. And also, as you get older, you can't metabolize it as well. When oh, I was younger, it yep. was nothing right. uh, to be roll into work and still, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. uh, stuff like that. And then as I got older, the hangovers became increasingly problematic. So I would have to take sips of, of alcohol just to get even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like it, it, it wasn't that I was – and I always tried to make the distinction. That's not alcoholism. I, I'm just trying to 
actually be able to work properly. <laughs> or so, you know, so I have to drink now at eight in the morning. Right. But uh, it's so it became a cycle of trying to chase the hangover away and mm-hmm, yeah. all that. And uh. and uh, so it just became problematic in so many areas of my life. But once it was over, it was over. Now, so. were, were you always a big fan of tattoos or did that start with sobriety? No, no, no. I started when I was 18. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, the tattoos, I mean, that's a lot of years. I mean, mm-hmm. I started actually, I can't donate blood because I started before there was disposable needles. You know what I mean? Before they had wow. to, wow. my first tattoo is a place called Shaw's tattoo in Texas. Um, with this guy wearing his gun and it just used the needle, same needle. <laughs> it just on like you rinsed it off. And used on everyone. So, um, um, what? it's that, you know, that's quite unsanitary. So I, I, can't give blood, which I am actually thankful for because it, um, whenever I do give blood, like for physicals, I pass out. So no, I can't. I can't. There's just something about it going into the bag and the tube yeah. and stuff. I, I can't give blood either. I actually for started a reason that's blood. so less cool than that. What is it? <laughs> well, that's not. A cool, I'm not saying it was cool. It's just. It's a I, cool story. It's interesting that you know you were getting tattoos by someone wearing a gun who just rinsed off a needle with hopefully listerine <laughs> or something before doing it on spittle, someone else. Spittle, just spittle, just good old spittle, <laughs> and wipe it on his jeans. <laughs> This was in 1892 <laughs> when I got my first tattoo. When people were shorter and lived closer to water. Exactly. <laughs> Built lower to the ground. <laughs> I, I went to school in London in 93, and I lived there for exactly six months. And when you go to give blood now, it says, did you live in London in 93 Whoa. for six months? Because that was the height of Mad Cow. Oh, right, right, And they right. don't know how long it stays in your system. So I can never give blood. And uh, we know a guy who runs a, a blood donor charity. And called Music Saves Lives. And he said, that's bullshit. Let me look into it. And he called me up later and went, I know, you're fucked, dude. You can't do <laughs> You can never give blood ever in your life because they have no idea how long it sits in your system. Right. So I, I got that going for I me. I think it's actually excessive that in the in the 80s getting a tet, you know, that I can't give blood. Yeah. And maybe that's changed, but it yeah. was the policy that I couldn't. Well, at least you're not years ago. gay. No, no, no. Oh no, I'm gay as a as a French horn. <laughs> but um, are they gay or French horns? Notorious. I think gay. anything pretty you put your gay. fist in, they're pretty gay. Yeah. <laughs> anything with the word French, <laughs> French horn. That was a wonderful, a wonderful joke. All of these have been. <laughs> and you two, stop talking I so know. much. It's I the know. bear sibling. I was going to want blah blah. Vanessa, do you have any I was going to one up everyone. Yeah, I have a ton of questions, but I was just going to say I can't give blood because I had leukemia in high school, and that's cancer of the blood. So, um, oh poor you! Not not to one up everybody, uh, but I think I maybe have the best you. reason. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> but somebody, you're listening to us with our yeah. thing, and you said nothing. I was in and, then, a- and then you came in with a zinger. Oh, I was I was just like biding my time. So, so you really did. You I really did. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. You want to know how cool I am? Cancer. Of the blood. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't say mine where I was like, I used to give blood to get out of pre-calc in high school. Like when they would do it in school. I'm like, this is way Everyone better than did that. Everyone Let's did go that. back to Vanessa. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, I'm not saying this long enough. Please, if you don't mind, elaborate. Yeah, no, I was in high school and I, it's so funny because I, I was doing stand-up about it for a long time. And then when I moved here, when I got hired by SNL, I didn't want it to be like, the thing that I was like hired, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't want it to be like leukemia survivor gets hired for SNL, so I never. It, it will be now. Oh if yeah, this goes out. Uh, well, you this know, will now, now be the now it's, of now it's on Wikipedia actually. Oh my goodness! And I was like, what is it linked to? And it, the way that it's on Wikipedia is it links to um, an article that my high school put out. 
that like talks about it that I was like, thanks high school. Like I'm, I'm fine. Like it's not something I'm embarrassed about, but it's just funny that like the dirt that they got on me mm-hmm. was from my high school. But yeah, but I had, but I was just starting to think about starting to do stand up about it again. How In fact, you, I did a show two nights ago and I almost did how it. How long did you have leukemia? Well, I, I, it's like a two and a half year process. Like it's not like regular thing, regular cancer where you just get like, you just like get it removed or something. It's like it's all throughout your system because mm-hmm. it's in your bone marrow and stuff. So you you have like, te- I had like ten months of intensive chemo and then I had like two years of follow up. Yeah, Jesus. I think it's why I went into comedy. Yeah, because my dad was always making like our dad was always making jokes about it, and I would like relate to my friends by like we would joke about it, and it like made it so much like better because we could all like I feel like my friends were never uncomfortable around me because they. How old were you when you got? So you got it. Fifteen when I was diagnosed, diagnosed, and then had it until the summer before my senior year was when I stopped like all chemo. And then did you get bone marrow? I didn't have to do that because I had ALL, which is like a like the the kind I had. You you don't necessarily have to get it unless you relapse or something. So I never had to get a bone marrow transplant. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just had to get a ton of chemo. Wow. Did you know that, Stephen? No, not in the slightest. You didn't. No. How did you? What were the symptoms? How did you I'm floored uh, right know now. that you had? It? I had um, I had I had this headache like next to my eye. I kept getting, and I kept I got sick over like spring break of my freshman year of high school, and I. I, I like wasn't getting better and then I would like get these headaches here and my eye swelled up and it turned out that there was like a collection of leukemia cells like next to my eye. Like you always show somewhere. And then um, it was like this, it was just crazy. And then I went to all these doctors and then they figured out that that's what it was. Why did yeah. it take so long for them to diagnose it correctly? Because they thought it was an eye infection for a long time. What is it with that? Like that show, uh, Mystery Diagnosis, whatever it takes, like 18 years for somebody to be diagnosed. It's like medicine is so, like, (coughs) I love doctors. I think they're the the best. Yes, we are not in any (laughs) way. (laughs) way. (laughs) The smirching doctors. Medicine is so inexact. Like, it's -hmm. it's like, before you have anything like that, you just think that doctors can just, like, diagnose things. And everyone's a little different. Like, everyone's bodies are different. Everything's a little different. So, like, doctors can't necessarily... Like, actually, the way that I got diagnosed was this doctor, this old doctor in Cleveland who used to be, which is where I'm from. I didn't, like, go to Cleveland to like, get, like, <laughs> the <I'm>, finest <laughs> medical care is in Cleveland. You think you have leukemia? I actually really have good You need to go to, to Ohio. They have really good hospitals there, but I wasn't, like, I'm, I'm going to. But so the, there was this doctor who was a, he was oncologist, but he was also a rheumatoid doctor. So he, they thought I might have, I was getting these rashes, which ended up being from the antibiotics that I was on if I had an eye infection. But so we thought they thought it might be like an autoimmune disease, but because he was also an oncologist, it was like the first doctor that we saw who had anything to do with cancer. And he, he, it's, this is something that no doctor will ever do. Like, it's like, it's like real old school, but he felt my breastbone, I guess, like the bone that's right here. Is that what this is? Sternum. My sternum. Mm -hmm. And he felt my collarbone and he was like, do either, does it, he felt my sternum. He was like, does that hurt? And I said, no. And then he felt my collarbone and he said, does that hurt? And I said, no, but comparatively, my sternum does hurt when you push on it. And then he was like, apparently, this is like very old school, and no doctor will tell you this today. You can feel, when you have it in your bone marrow, when you have leukemia, you can feel it more in flat bones than round bones. Mm-hmm. And then he and then he gave me a test for, then he tested my bone marrow for leukemia. It was like something that like no, any other doctor I've ever said that to has been like, that's like, I've never heard of that before. 
but he was like this real old school guy who happened to do both both things. You got to love it when people have the years of experience that just remember and see something like that. And, you know, there's also a flip side to that, but that's yeah. fascinating. It was crazy. And no one's doctors. ever heard of that again. I've never, I mean, right on. But I mean, I've n- I, did, I had no idea that you had leukemia went through that. And, and Jonah, of course, you never haven't mentioned. Been, why I know, Jonah had never says a word. <laughs> never. Always, it's always about him or his band or whatever he's doing. <laughs> never one thing about you and your leukemia. <laughs> yeah. Cancer in your blood. Yeah. He's never once said anything. <laughs> Jonah. I think it's Jonah's fault. I think that's why he's not saying What anything. did you do? <laughs> did you stab her with a pencil? It was a prank that went awry. I, <laughs> did you not wash your needle? Right after I got diagnosed, I would ask Jonah about, I don't know if you remember this, he would go to school, like, I was in ninth grade and you were in 11th grade. And I'd be like, who asked about me today? <laughs> like, I always wanted to know, like, <laughs> what were people saying to you? I was, like, real into asking yeah. you about that. That must have been rough, man. Your sister's sick. You find yeah. a, a cancer 15. That's Yeah, it was a really, it was a weird time. I don't really, like, remember it I think that it would well. be harder like on I, Vanessa, though. It was definitely. I, so. I, yeah. Yeah, I just Obviously. feel like well, it would I, be harder on I, Vanessa than him. But I don't mean to be so insensitive. <laughs> yeah. I assume the hardship from the actual patient <laughs> as opposed to the joy upon missing school. <laughs> well, getting back to me. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no, it's only kidding. It's only kidding. No, I will. And I might make you edit this out just because it's so it's sort of personal. But Damn it. So I, happened the last but time. But I. The, I remember the night that I got diagnosed, I was so upset. And the thing that I focused on, I don't know if I ever told you this, I was so worried about Jonah going to school the next day and having to deal with it. Like, that was the most upsetting thing for me, was really? thinking about Jonah. That's, yeah. That's cra- it, yeah that, you were fine. I know, I but fine. that was, like, the thing I was thinking about the most. I don't know if I was trying to, like, dilute, like, mm-hmm. not think about what I was, but I remember I was the whole night thinking about that. I, that's really sweet. Don't edit that out. Oh, edit thanks. that out that I just said Thank that, you. but don't edit out. <laughs> you know what's weird is I you don't get that minute. It drives what I nuts. remember is like I like intuitively like knew something was really wrong. Like when like yeah. you were getting tested before we knew. Like I just had this weird feeling. Like I can't even explain it, but like I got I would get like really like bummed out and like I just you could feel something was yeah. just not right. And then when it came out, I like wasn't that I was surprised, but I like you knew something. I felt it. So did I. I I'm, I was like. They were giving me all these tests and they didn't know what it was. And I knew that it was something, I just knew my body. I knew like something was really wrong. But yeah, Vanessa's stand-up about it was is so funny. I haven't done it. I have to start doing it again. Yeah. It's about how like we would use it as an excuse to get, like me and my family would use it as an excuse to get out of everything. And we started calling it dropping the album. <laughs> my, dad, my dad got out of a speeding ticket. And then also like people, people sent me all these presents when I got sick. Like, like my aunt sent me like a bracelet and I was like, that's uh, it. That's it. <laughs> also <Really> like, <laughs> I'm going to look great. Like when I'm like lying in my hospital bed, like, where do you want me to wear this? Like, like this isn't the time. I have Plus family. they already give you one in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. They already give you a bracelet. <laughs> and people, she gave her a gold people one don't know what to, and I get, people don't know what to do, but they just like send you gifts and you're like, why are you sending me? Flowers are one thing because they like make your mm-hmm. hospital, even though like when you have like a, when you're like immunocompromised, they don't let you have flowers in your room because like the something in the water can, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is, but. By the way, good band name, immunocompromised. <laughs> yeah. Um, but people don't know what to do. So they just like, they were just like sending me gifts. And I was mm-hmm. like, I, I, I get it. Like, I wasn't like, you know, like people don't know, but. It was just so funny the things I would get. We have family in Australia that we've only met once, I think, at Grandma and Grandpa's like 50th anniversary oh, party. Right. And they um, sent me this like 
bronze clock that had like all these jungle animals on it. <laughs> it was like, nice. it was nice. Like, and you probably, do you still have the clock? It's probably in our parents' basement. They moved and we didn't Clock's help kind them. of a fucked up gift to give somebody with cancer, like keep track <laughs> well, of time. It's, it's not about the clock. It's probably about, the, it was probably a special, like a uh, lovely clock yeah. indigenous to where they're from. Yeah, totally. But it does make people very uncomfortable, especially when young people are sick. Yeah. You know, it really brings up so many, especially for adults. It brings up issues of, uh, it's not the way it's supposed to go. You know yeah. what I mean? That it's it's different when somebody says, my grandmother has whatever. Right, right, but right. But when you hear of a young person that's yeah. ill, it brings up all the anxieties of universal contingency, meaning anything can happen to anyone at any time. Yeah. You don't, you, you don't want to think of a child. Right, right. Uh, being ill or suffering, and it really makes adults in particular very upset and uncomfortable, and they don't know what to do, and they, and they, and I, I think I don't yeah. have kids. I'm just assuming that it, it's got to be uh, my mom. My mother actually passed away um, many years ago of cancer. But one thing she said that she took heart about was that she did not have to watch her children. Yeah. Go I, before her. I've never forgotten that. She was oh, like, yeah. I take great, uh, you know, not that she takes great pleasure in illness, but she felt so content. Yeah. That her that she would go first because she believed she could not have handled um, her her yeah. her children or grandchildren sibling anything I mean a uh, husband going before her yeah. if that makes any totally totally don't kick me Sorry. <laughs> uh, Sorry. I'm trying to tell a story about mortality and a mother's love and <laughs> I'm kicking the table I'm sorry you I kick me it was a I do I do that sometimes Jimmy. I'm sorry. how dare you <laughs> you you have two feelings when you have children and one is uh, specifically if you're the if you're the dad it holds true for the mom too but I think dad's more so is that um you can commit murder right you know, on behalf of your child John, you can do mm-hmm. that you have the ability and second it's like uh, I will not see you die you know like mm-hmm. like I will go first god damn it you know well it's unnatural <clears throat> and and what could yeah, be worse again I don't yeah. have children but I certainly can uh, empathize oh my god what could be worse than your child's suffering totally you would rather oh, yeah. take it on and uh, even if it's something as simple as a playground bullying episode yeah. and I'm not even talking about the type of bullying kids are into now I'm talking old school Simple, I stole your goldfish bullying. Yeah. Even that. That's a very uh, specific hurt. bully, uh, I'm, I'm saying that's not uncommon. I'm talking about the side. I don't even want to get yeah. it. You have yeah. to yeah. reach in to now. grab it's it and run much. and I have agree. water. I'm just trying to keep us away crazy from now. Yeah. what teens go th- and young people go through now. But um, even just when I babysit or anything or watch a kid's uh, child, I feel such warmth towards this yeah. child. And when I see any injustice going on, not just for for her, but any little person, whether there's injustice, you feel not only that you could kill someone, but and I want to burst out crying. Something yeah. about yeah. it's something so awful about it, and that goes for teenagers. Yeah, and having children will will change the experience you have watching TV shows you've watched or movies mm-hmm. you've watched your entire life. What's your story? You were crying during what? Time Cop? I cried during Time Cop. My wife, I, I was way more pregnant. I, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I was, I, it was fucking sad. Right? So, you were crying. <laughs> By the way, we should point out that Mike has a huge tattoo of Frankenstein. Yeah, I have a big Frankenstein monster. Look, it's oh, hard work. Just in time for Halloween. Yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> just, just for, it's just for Halloween. I was hoping it would be Fred Gwynn. I do know. Yeah, I love Fred Gwynn. That would as well. be amazing. <laughs> Fred Gwynn from. Uh, uh, oh Pet shoot! The thing with my, Joe cousin Pesci. <laughs> my cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. Sorry. <laughs> oh, what? Go ahead. Anyway, um, sorry. Tell your story. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, my wife was pregnant, and I was like the pregnant lady the entire time. Like, and I was like, I was just going through all this stuff, and I watched Time Cop one night, and 
like the end. Dude, he like goes back. All right, I'm gonna like get all whatever. T wouldn't have had a kid. Let it out. Anyway, so what happened was my wife walks in. She goes, "Are you fucking crying?" And I was like, "No." And I, literally, it was just like you know, one of those. I was like, "What?" It's fine. She goes, "What are you watching?" And I was like, "Time Cop." And she's like, a "Fucking Van Damme movie." I'm like, "Dude, if you fucking wouldn't have had his kid, if you didn't go back and fucking do this shit, and the other dude was back at the same time, and if you're in the same place with your old self, you fucking explode." They fucked with the time travel rules in that movie. Hey, too what's much, with too. all the blue language? Oh, sorry. They watch this segue. So Jeez. you're crying, you're in time cop. Undercuts and, the whole sentimentality of the story. Sorry. I heard nothing but the F-bomb. You're I'll cry- retell it. You're, cry- you're crying during time cop. I got that same question of what the fuck are you crying for as we're sitting in the movie theater watching Wally, which brings us to Pixar. Colette and Ratatouille. Ratatouille. <laughs> we were at Bonnaroo. Mike and I were at Bonnaroo, and I saw you walk by, and, my, and I was like, <gasps> Colette. Wow. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. That you're the first one that's ever ever um, said like, wow, Colette and Red Amazing. Team. I love that movie. I love it. Oh, you it's a wonderful it. movie. Pixar is wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. On, on behalf of the Pixar people, Brad Bird and Brad Lewis. It was, and it was Brad a great Bird, movie. The man behind the Iron Giant, one of my top mm-hmm. five favorite films. Yeah, they're they're very good, those Brads. And uh and Pixar in general. That's just very fine work. I was just at uh, working when I was working New York Comic Con and I talked to a lot of voiceover artists, and one thing I love about uh, comic book conventions now is voiceover artists are getting a lot of credit that they're due and a lot of actors. There's actors who can do it and actors who can't. And you were fantastic. What was that experience like working, one with Brad Bird, who I think is awesome. And Brad Lewis, uh, who were both doing it together. Uh, oh. And it was fantastic. They were mm. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And also it was uh, a great experience to be part of a Pixar production but uh it took two years to do the vocals five years for them to make that movie because they had to build the software uh that created it because the they wanted um the streets and uh, like the cobblestone and the restaurant things to look old and overnight the computer or whatever kept cleaning things up you know what i mean like if there was uneven brickwork on the on the streets they would i guess what was happening is it was making it even i am so i'm a luddite but whatever the problem was, they had to correct it. The mm-hmm. work kept getting made perfect again. Right. Yeah. The reason so, there's, so, I mean, that's the thing is about Pixar is they literally invent technology every right. film. Like every film, they, they overcome these obstacles, and that's why they've yep. been able to stay And it so took fresh. them five years, not just to overcome those obstacles, but there was some script changes and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, two years for the the vocals for all the cast members, who you're never in the room with them, and some live in London, New York, Los Angeles, what have you. And also you only get your lines because uh, they don't want anything leaking. I guess they've had problems with people um, leaking their material. So you don't know really who you, what you're saying. Wow. Um, you just, really? You don't know the story? N- not really. They will, they will give you bits and pieces. They don't want anything to get out. Like, right. So right. They, they'll give you a general idea of what's going on at the time. But you may only have just your lines in that moment. And, a Shakespearean. Uh, I guess. I don't know if that's how the bard worked. He did. He would only give you, they were called sides. The and you, would only, you would only get your lines and then a little bit of the line of the mm-hmm. guy in front of you. Uh, or well, it was a guy because they played all the female parts. No, the globe, Stratford on Avon. Um, it's Sorry. true. It's true. Well, Stratford on Avon, where he's from, the globe was actually. I know. I just, I, I'm just. Didn't want people to think I thought it was now the under theater. the Shakespeare zone. <laughs> you guys are geeking out. I'm like, are you speaking French right now? Because I don't know she what had to learn about. a French accent. I, That's very hard. I'm actually doing a French accent. I'm doing a two days on a movie next week where I'm doing a French accent again, and I am so scared because actually I have to do it 
uh, it's not an, it's not uh, hiding behind a anim, not animated. Oh right, I know right, it right. Sounds it's, it's like I'm underplaying whatever you would call Pixar, the artwork. But actually, me and when I'm in my kitchen going over my lines doing a French accent, it is the most embarrassing thing in the world. I am dreading uh, next week doing this, um, having an actual scene with a French accent. I feel like LeBeau from Hogan's Heroes or something. It just makes <laughs> it, I feel so embarrassed about what I have to do. Um, not being in a booth doing an accent. Right, Something right, right. about it just seems way more, if you don't do it right, you are the biggest asshole. Is it a comedy? Um, no. That's Whoa. another thing. If if it was comedic, I guess you could get away with something. But even then, I mean, it, you got to do your best. To, if you're playing a French right. person, and it's a French person with a thick French accent. It's not even like just somebody who's a little bit, but it's been in this country. So they loved time. you doing co No, no, no. This is a total coincidence. They didn't know. Um, Liars. Uh, no, no, they didn't. I, and nope. I, I, it's just that um, I managed to have a decent audition, which never happens. Never happens. And also, it's a very low-budget movie, um, and I come very cheaply these days. So it's cost-effective for everyone. Do you still have to audition, though? I feel like you can be like, you know what I do oh, at no, this no, point. Oh, no, 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 no. Those days are gone. Um, the, I used to... It's all been backwards for me. There, somehow I got very lucky for a finite amount of time in the 90s. I, I was in the right place at the right time, and I got very lucky. And I didn't have to uh, do much auditioning back then. And then once you're in, you're in. Then all of a sudden, and I do think the alcohol had something to do with this, but um, all of a sudden I was sort of on the outs. And then uh, I went, I took two and a half years off to work at Air America, mm-hmm. which was a, a, a news station because I just thought it was important to do that at the time. Then you're really out. Uh, you're really out. If you're a female and you are uh, aging and you are known to be politically outspoken, as somebody would call it. How dare uh, you? You are done. Um, and and also if you ask any questions on a set, if you're known for being a person who is intellectually curious, let's say, on a set, um, you're just difficult. And so, you know, there's it, I know people may feel like I'm making things up or just making excuses, but um, it, it's just uh, it's one of those things like if you're in, you're in. And, and if you can maintain that, you're very lucky. And then once you're the perception of you is a has been and this is not me being self-deprecating. That's just the reality of it. Um, the perception is is that uh, I'm sort of a has been. People treat it like it's contagious. Does, do you know what I mean? Like they, uh, they, and actually the 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 people that will treat it as a contagion the, the most is the people you know, the most. The only work that you'll get usually is from people you don't really know. Um, it's a very strange thing. It's it's I can't explain it, but. Um, I'm hoping that well, one day I'll get Betty, lot, White, right? Betty Whited back in. You're... Stand-up's totally different. Stand-up's a different thing. I've been doing that since 85. I, okay. book, you know, I, 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 I control that. I have no control over my acting career. So uh, I have to audition if I can get the audition now, nowadays. That's very, very difficult even to get in the room because uh, people think one of two things. Either A, I've seen it, uh, or B, uh, I've heard she's difficult. You Did know. you have to audition for 24? No, that was actually a joke. I think Joel Cernow was trying to plan. He hated my politics and Air America. And I think he he's, he's, a, he's a real right wing. He actually worked with the Republican Party producing like propaganda campaigns with them. Joel Wasn't Cernow. that what 24 was? Uh, yes, it was. Um, and actually <laughs> Rush Limbaugh and, and Lynn Cheney would visit the set and stuff like that. But really? he wanted to make me look like a weak, quote unquote, liberal on the show, 
my my character was uh, got yelled at a number of times by Jack. Then it, it got sidetracked because of the writer's strike. He didn't get to play out the whole thing he had in mind for my character because there was a writer's strike. Remember that? That went on for mm-hmm. almost yeah. a year. Yeah. Some different writers came in. Um, so a bunch of the storylines got thrown out. So Joel Sarnow's, I think, wanted to humiliate me. I know this sounds very uh, complicated, but uh, he there's no other explanation for it. Plus, he would also try and play gotcha with me all the time uh, when politics. He would try and wind me up all the time in between takes and stuff and say stuff. And the, some of the dialogue he had was just shitting on liberals. And then also he wanted Cherry Jones to play the president mm-hmm. that season and as a slam to Hillary. He wanted it to seem unappealing. Unfortunately, the fans loved Cherry Jones as the president. She was wonderful. But it was yeah. made to frighten you from a Hillary candidacy. Some kind of wonderful. Uh, and again, this might sound like all like, that's crazy. But don't underestimate a right winger. They will, especially with power and money, they they will use any platform. But um, his Cherry Jones thing backfired. Oh, yeah. And um, the thing he had planned for me backfired because of the writer strike. So I'm all about conspiracy. I, I it's mean, not a conspiracy. And by the way, that's not a dirty word. It's just Latin for to breathe together. All a conspiracy <laughs> is is people doing something they don't want you to know about. And that's not a conspiracy. That's just a guy who has the means to do something. Like Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky wanted to see uh, Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman make out. So he built a whole heady story around it. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, because Vanessa's here, um, and I know she's such a huge fan of Wet Hot American Summer. I was just talking to my friend about this last night. Like, you have so many different moves that you do in that movie. Like, it's, I, you do so much. Like, I, I was saying, like, that scene where you're asking about how do I go on a date. Like, oh, with uh, Marguerite Moreau? Yeah. yeah. That, that scene, like, the way that you are, that's so amazing. And then even, like, I, I feel like there's all this different stuff, like, when you're happy for people. I can't even remember what the scene is. And you're like, oh, that's so great. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the wedding? I think like so. When, when I, when I was you're officiating like, their wedding? <laughs> yes. Oh, that that's very flattering because I actually f- always feel like a, there's nothing you could pick out that I do there's that is so memorable. Much what the fuck? Movie. When you go up to David Ide Pierce's character and you're like, and you're talking about all the things you just learned about astrophysics <laughs> and quasars, <laughs> yeah. and there's like, I didn't write that. That's a, a, I know, but you interpret it. It's what you do. Well, that's you very did kind it. of you. And Thank you. like, there's a million moments in that movie that I'm just like, I, I honestly was like, I watched it again recently, and I was like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I do is like stuff that i saw you do well i take that as a huge compliment because i think you're great oh thank but, you very uh, much. you're giving me way too much credit i i because um, I, I, I because I, I think you're so specific i remember that night when i first saw you at ucb and you did the thing about the doll was it the lady who was collecting dolls oh was yeah UCB East? oh yeah it was at ucb East. and you yeah. really took your time with it and it's <laughs> so i mean like she, she it was so unconcerned with like Oh, this is going to take a bit. The audience has to focus <laughs> on this. I love that. Like the commitment you made to that character and the amount of pauses that you took. <laughs> uh, and that, and I was like, I have to tell this person um, when she gets off stage that I think that's so amazing. That's, that's my favorite, the specificity. Um, and I feel like I'm not always good at that. But when I see it in others, like SCTV, I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Uh, Catherine O'Hare, you know, back in in the in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, the other movie that I didn't mention to you that I love you in is that I've started watching again recently. Like, I maybe DVR'd it. When it and um, is Reality Bites. Oh, thank did you. Did you have fun doing that? I actually did. Uh, it's, it's just that I was... I was the oldest person. I was playing a 21-year-old. I was 29 at that time. Really? Everybody else in the cast was, was 21. 
Um, right. But I, I did, I did enjoy it. I was just thrilled back then to like, wow, I can't believe I, I can do this. I get to do a movie. You know what I mean? With, with yeah. famous people. That was amazing To I was still in that phase of like, this is amazing. And then it was shot, some of it in Houston, which at the time where my dad was living. And, um, and he came to watch some until he was like, this is boring. Because people don't realize <laughs> that it's just very tedious and repetitious. <laughs> yeah. It's work. like backstage at a concert. And, like, uh, this is it? And I introduced him to Winona Ryder, which in many people's lives, that would be a big deal. And um, so she walks away and he goes, so, so that little girl is the star of the movie, that little girl. And he goes, I thought I was meeting Winona Judd. He thought it was. Uh, <laughs> that's not, not a joke. That is not a gag. So I'm telling you. He I believe it because our dad it was. Yeah. He was. And he was very psyched about meeting the. Winona Judd. Winona Judd. And, and I like her mom. I like her mom. That was it. Yeah, Naomi, Naomi is the one my dad uh, was fond of. And he thought he was meeting Naomi's daughter. And then he didn't know who that was. He doesn't know anyone. He knows, like, uh, he knows uh, John Wayne. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. He, you have to be so famous for my dad to know, and and in a certain period of time. I mean, anyone after like nineteen eighty, whatever. There's no way he's gonna know who you are. But he couldn't believe a little girl. He thought, and she, he also thought she was a little girl because you know she's so tiny, yeah. and, and especially then she looked so young, and he couldn't believe that this little girl was the star of this big movie. And then also, for many years after, even when I was working a lot, he would say, do you need money? He couldn't believe that anyone would be paid for the the junk. Like that, (laughs) as he sees it. You know what I mean? He hates most television. I keep picturing Reality Bites with Winona Judd. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to remake it with Winona Judd. Just like we're going to, Vanessa and I are redoing Tango and Cash. I was speaking of it earlier on the the sidewalk. I can't wait for that. I'm in. I think think Tango and Cash remake, it's time, and you and I... I can't think of two better people to do yeah. it. So you heard it here first, folks. As long we as I can be involved some somehow. Kickstart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you just uh, like the names is what Tango No, it's the movie. It's the, the dialogue. Film. Have yeah. you seen Tango and Cash? Yeah. <laughs> it's it the comes dialogue. close to my favorite. What was the, uh, the it always outfits. comes back to Hard to Kill. Is that the Seagal <laughs> yes. that we always go back to? It's like one of the greatest scenes in any movie that I think you guys should redo as well is uh, from oh, Hard I- to Kill where Steven Seagal plays the Italian detective. And he's like, hey, come on, guys. And he comes in and he's looking for Richie. And he beats up the entire bar with like a pool ball in a uh-huh. sock. It's the greatest thing in the world. Like, I think that just that scene alone. Like- I'm game. Well, we could do webisodes and we could actually do different scenes from different from, ones. Yeah. I really, really I think so. back this idea a Turn lot. Turn on Hooch. But, but that would be harder. Um, oh, how about uh, One Good Cop with Michael Keaton? <laughs> that would be, that's a good one. How about Time Cop? No, Let's, can we not bring that up? <laughs> can we not bring up time? Um, my question for you was: I'm yes? sorry to go back to Wet Hot American Summer, but no, please. What was the most fun part of filming it? Like, what was the most fun day or most fun thing that you remember? I, I th- I'm being totally honest with you, with you when I said that was one of the best times I had doing anything ever. I'm being completely sincere. Uh, I honestly can't pick one day because I enjoyed myself so much. Uh, and laughed so much on that. Oh my god! Yeah. And we were really in bunks, you know. I mean, like in the camp, and and um, where was the camp? It was Camp Tawanda in East Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Um, I mean, I wasn't in a bunk bed per se, yeah. but we were in those long cabins. Now I was just at Camp Tell Yehuda, no joke, two weeks ago, where I was in cabin three B on the top bunk. Wow. Yes, uh, but 
I was not in a bunk bed per se okay. on Wet Hot American Summer, which I just ran into Michael Showalter in the street, and he says they're working on the prequel. I heard about which this. Which hopefully will happen, because I would. that was such a wonderful experience. Oh, my I God. Would, plus, I need the, I need the work. Uh, I I really would love to be in a movie that someone would actually see again. That would be so nice. Can you tell us about as the opposed experience to straight to DVD stuff? Romy and Michelle. My experience. Oh, is that was also very good. I didn't uh, I didn't have the camp experience. You know, I mean, I mean, you could say there's a camp quality. Now I'm speaking comedically. Campy. Uh, the movie Romy and Michelle has become a camp classic, much like the original Batman. Um. <laughs> Confound it, the batteries are dead. That kind of defined camp. Uh, but I, uh, I had a wonderful time on Romeo and Michelle, and that is sincere too, because it's of no benefit to any of us for me to be dishonest with you. But uh, I honestly can't pick I, one day because I loved every second of what happened. Thinking about like tonight. Amy Poehler, Paul, like yep. thinking about the people that were there, mm-hmm. I just, it's like the best people. Uh, of those people, like the ones that I've met, have been just the best people yep. in the world. Like they're all the nicest, most wonderful people and most hilarious. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. Like I, it just seems like the most fun thing in the world. It really, really was. Like it, it was one of those things where you assume it's going to be great, and it is. Whereas yeah. there's other things where right. you think this is going to be great, and it's just either very banal or bitterly disappointing. That was more f- more enjoyable than I could have ever imagined and I have such fond memories of it and actually um, when sometimes Wet Hot is on and now I, I don't watch something I, I'm in ever because it's just too painful to see uh, like when you're like oh what a hack uh, you know if I look at so I don't but I, yeah. I will watch Wet Hot if it's on because I love to remember it looks like you guys how, are having how, so much how fun. much I enjoyed myself doing it oh and, my god and it's just when Michael Schulter told me they were doing a prequel, uh, my first thing was, first of all, how are you going to get Elizabeth Banks, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, Paul Rudd in the same room? Because they were probably booked uh, for the rest of their lives. And also, can I be in it? Because, you know, my career has taken such a, such a nosedive since. I don't know that I could still be in the movie if the studio I mean, would allow it. But um, Michael assures me I can have a part in that movie. So that's the good yeah. news. Everybody. Can you please describe the scene, which is my favorite scene in the entire movie, where you're telling Paul Rudd's character to pick up, pick his, up food. his food. Well, it was much like you saw. Uh, it was exactly as you saw. <laughs> How many times? What was added to it? Well, I want to know in we detail. We couldn't do anything very many times because it was a very low budget movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they uh, David and Michael made that I think for under a million dollars. So you could only do a couple takes of everything. But Paul Rudd, it was just exactly as you saw it. Um, and then anytime the camera's not on me, I'm laugh, smiling or laughing. Oh, my God. And Chris Malone, Christopher Maloney, who knew oh, Christopher yeah. Maloney was so, yes. so funny. funny. And I had the most enormous crush on him. Uh, I was uh, Christopher Maloney after, not only is he cute, but when I saw how funny he was, I was so like, oh, my funny. God, I love Ridiculous. Christopher Maloney. And someone that you, yeah, you would not, like, you wouldn't, you have, know, you wouldn't have thought yeah, it. Yeah, he, he's, he's such, really he's such like, a serious he, mm-hmm. he did an episode of Scrubs where he, like, stole the show. Like, he was hilarious. Oh he's God. so damn funny. Yeah, and, he's a really funny guy. And and Bradley Cooper, like. Bradley Cooper, excellent. You know, so that was his first movie, I believe. He was 25 years old and um, nicest guy in the world. Just a nice, nice guy. And I do remember one night, uh, for some reason, this sticks out a lot. Amy Poehler's room was right next to mine. We could like communicate through the wall. Oh my god! You guys and we both had clock radios <laughs> with alarm clocks, and we were listening to I guess the same radio station. And Pina Colada song came on. It was like two in the morning, and we both at the same exact time 
you could hear laughing and started pounding on the wall to each other. Um, it was just one of those synchron moments of uh, thinking the exact same thing. Now, both of us love the Pina Colada song, but it's also hilarious. Escape by Rupert Holmes. Escape, yeah. If you like Pina Coladas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, the other single off that album, Him, was uh, not as good, but Him, Him, Him. I believe Him was the A side and Pina Colada was the B side. Could have been. I don't know. But um, <laughs> that song was not playing. But Pina Colada did. <sighs> and just us laughing. Laughing so hard and punching the wall at the exact same time when when like on the thing, but there was um, Ken Marino, hilarious. I mean, Jola Truglio, everybody. It was Molly just, Shannon, Molly like, Shannon, David Hyde Pierce, uh, all the kids who were in it were great. Um, uh, Michael Ian Black, yes, uh, yeah. Um, I don't want to leave anyone out because I know everyone. Oh, Judah Friedlander's in it. As Mark right, Bar- right. Von he's, the, he's the bad. Uh-huh. Oh, oh my! Yeah. God. He's like the bad husband. <laughs> that, that that I mean, it just like seems like how could you guys not be having? It was wonderful when, when and it rained <sighs> every day but one. Really? Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somehow for the exterior shots, it would just seem sunny all the time. Like the sun would come out for very finite periods of time, and then they would grab shots outside. So it seems like it was sunny that whole day because it just takes place in one day. But we were there for 20 days, I believe, 21 days. It rained for 19 days out of, out of 20. So it was just mud and muck and very unhappy camp runners. Uh, because, yeah. as you know, any film crew destroys any area that right. they're in accidentally. But especially if it's raining. So it was just the turf. And the kids were starting camp two days after we left. We had to be done. And there was, it was wrecked. You know what I mean? Like the ground, the greenery. That they that they had. So, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and you guys seem so uncurious about Camp Tell Yehuda, <laughs> which was two weeks ago. I, actually, I, I never got I to go to a sleepaway. I never got to go to a sleepaway camp. So that's my oh, only I did. experience. Oh, I did Loved too. it. In Loved fact, it. I, I got to have like a meeting with David Wayne, like a like our agent set up like mm-hmm. a meeting for, and he was saying that. The, the first camp I ever went to was this camp, Camp Wise, which is like the Jewish mm-hmm. camp in, Cle- like the JCC camp in Cleveland. And he said that like the thing where the they think someone something's going to fall on the camp, like the Skylab. He said that was something that was when he went to Camp Wise. That was like right. based, like it was that's something- a real thing in history. You were probably really? too young to remember, but Skylab. That's true. Uh, there was it was a. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like uh, related to the no, camp. no. That's true. In the early eighties or eighty yeah. or eighty one, somewhere around there, for real, a piece of Skylab was falling. And there was many late night Carson jokes about you know yeah. stuff, but, uh, and it fell into the ocean, I believe. I but, think it actually some of it fell in Western Australia. Uh, oh, yeah, may may have, but you know, since well, most of our well, Earth is water, well. <laughs> but it was like a big deal. Like, what if Skylab falls on your head? And of course, it was just going to be a piece, but uh, that's a real historical fact. Skylab, and they worked it into the movie that it fell at oh Camp God. Tawanda. They only had one chance to do that, one take, and only one Skylab fake thing uh, being dropped. It had to work in the same way with the van crash into the tree. One van, oh, yeah. one time, they had only one chance oh to do God. that. Because once the van is wrecked, it's, it's wrecked. So. And he's singing. And, oh, oh man, that's God. just so funny, the way that shot, <sighs> when he's like, even though we ain't cut, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and it just hits the tree. But how about when he's being chased? Oh, uh, my God. Trying to grab him. 
And and oh, and the most fun scene was with Joe Latruga when we got to rip up, destroy the office. In the oh my god, office. that is so funny when you and run in there. I only had one take to do that too. I would have, I would have done that eight million times. <laughs> so funny. And he like punches that lamb. No. <laughs> that makes me laugh so hard. He's frightened of it. He's frightened of it and then hits it. That he added. That was not because we only had one take to do it. We were not told really what what to do, but other than you can go destroy it, but you can only do it once. And oh uh, so, and just run screaming. But I was like, oh man, can, I want to do it more. Do that more and more. It was so funny. But when he, I saw when he did that, because I could, I was here. <laughs> and when he got scared of the lamp and punched it, that made me laugh so hard. There was just so many, uh, you know, that was, it was just a, oh, oh and that, um, oh man, I'm forgetting your name. Uh, it was also, I believe, Elizabeth Banks' first, first movie, uh, Marissa. Um, the girl who played the girl that makes out with everybody. Oh yeah, uh, she was so funny. Why am I forgetting her name? I'm so that's terrible. And also Zach Orth and Eighty Miles. Oh yeah, Eighty Miles is oh, yeah, so man. amazing. Hilarious. Yeah. And John Benjamin's voice is the can of mixed vegetables. Yeah, just one more <laughs> moment I want to bring up. When you tell Amy Poehler she has to put that kid in the show. Oh and right, like, you have to put her in the <laughs> show. That's the best one. Amy just... goes, "Don't pick it up. You keep picking it up." So that was good. She keeps saying, that was really you keep funny. picking it up. Yep. Oh my god, that and you're like, "No, you you have to." Actually, I'm terrible in that scene, and also I was terribly hungover. But she is so great in that scene when um, when she said uh, something, woman. Uh, she called me. Uh, <laughs> what did she say? She she goes. Um, are you out of your mind, woman? Yeah. Something like that. She said, "Woman," which so is great. Like, I am breaking my balls, balls woman. Yeah, yes, something like that. It. And then when she said, "Don't pick it up," you keep picking it up. Oh my god, was so, so funny. funny. And, and you, I mean, as that camp director, just as someone who went, and, and I'm done. I know we, but as someone who went to camp, <laughs> like, just the idea that like of you being like when he's like, "Do I have to go?" Like when Ken Marino's like, "I don't want to go," and you're like, "How about?" You have to go. <laughs> oh, I don't remember, but I, I, I feel like I, I was like the least. Uh, there were so oh many God. funny people around me. I feel like uh, there would be scenes like that where Amy would just be amazing or something, and I'd be like, I got nothing. Oh, I my got God. Nothing. You all but were. That was, that was really great. And then um, the day-by-day day girl, I love that, you know, that when she was and so good so and everybody started booing her. <laughs> that was so great oh my when God. people were booing I like the, and, and role models where they, Paul Rudd, they sneak back in the line, oh, fuck my cock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when David Hyde Pierce says that too. Oh my God, he was so funny. He was so, uh, and such a nice guy. Well, this is the start of our new podcast where all we're going to do is talk about Wet Hot American Song. <laughs> Please do. And I back it because I love that movie. And it must be exciting. Maybe exciting is the wrong word, but you're, you were part of something that came out, didn't do well, right. but has established itself in the lexicon of comedy where people who watch that film, such as Vanessa, uh, <laughs> when it comes out, are now into comedy. Like it, it, it influenced them, created something, and people still love it. Like every time I meet someone from the cast, like when uh, I met David Wayne, I, I could barely talk about the movie because well, it's, it's so good. Well, it's to their good. credit because the movie uh, did did not do well when it first came out and got no support. And those guys worked tirelessly, tirelessly for years to get people to see that film in any way they could. And then through that and word of mouth and, and stuff like that, they built that following uh, through a lot of, you know, to their credit. Like, they knew they wanted people to see it, and they would like it if people could see it. But what happened was, I think that year, as I recall, Super Trooper stole oh, stole the man. thunder. And actually, I, I like, I mean, I don't know Broken Lizard. They seem like a good group of guys, and, yeah, and I, I have yeah. laughed at, uh, I didn't, didn't love Club Dread. 
But uh, <laughs> beer fest, I laughed out loud multiple times, especially at the eulogy at the funeral when the guy says he farted fest. a plum. Uh, that made me so that for some reason that gets me every time. <laughs> when the the man farted a whole plum, like I just find that funny. So broken lizard, uh, good for them, and and I I can see they're hard workers too. Right, they, right. they make it happen. Yeah. But I believe super troopers just trump because for whatever reason it was like at the festival. Uh, we kept being like the poor stepbrother to Super Troop. Somehow, oh, no. like we were hmm. being negatively compared to them. And that movie got a ton of support and distribution. And then those poor, you know, Michael and, I mean, D- uh, David and, and, yeah, Michael Showalter and David Wayne worked for years to recoup the money to pay people back. You know, that that's part of the reason they kept trying to get people to see it is so they could repay their debts to people that had lent the money to do it. So. And then it got, <clears throat> now it's like a... It's a cult classic. Yeah. A cult classic. Both spelled with a K. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I do too. That's... Can you get a picture of us saying, I like that? Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> that was Janine Garofalo. Uh, Vanessa, thank you for hanging out. Thank you. Two. Uh, <laughs> when two. Uh, if you like us, go on our Facebook page. <laughs> give us a big old thumbs up. Uh, hey, on iTunes, write us a review if you dig our show because we dig you and if you dig us too. Two, two. Also, go on our website and you can donate $2 if you want or One, whatever denomination two. you decide. <laughs> uh, Vanessa, please hang out every week. Okay. Not that Brad and Joan are awesome because they are. And Mike, wherever you are, we miss you. Wait a minute, Mike works for NBC. So does Vanessa. It's all coming together. Oh, it's a tiny world. It's teeny weeny teeny world. All right, see you in a week. One, two.